Hello there, I'm Brian Taylor. Down the years, you may have seen me on the telly or heard me on the wireless, but this is different. This is the Brian Taylor podcast brought to you by The Herald. Coming up. It's prima facie unlawful to use emergency powers when there isn't a public health emergency. We were all just sitting going, is everybody out of a job here? What we do need to see is action to try and tackle the blight of empty units in in our town and city centres. Um, I I think there's a future there for us to make it. I think there's a lot of things that have been put in a place where we've got the ability to do things differently. Hello there, I'm Brian Taylor. A very warm welcome to my latest Herald podcast. Quite a week, eh? Quite a week. Boris Johnson got married and for that perfect honeymoon, an online summit meeting with leaders from Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, from virtue to virtual in one easy bound. Now, we wondered just what to get the happy couple, something to brighten up their Downing Street flat. Maybe not. So we decided instead, seriously for a moment, we decided instead to match that summit and to raise it into a debate about Scotland's prospects, post-pandemic jobs, business, education, training, just how do we sort this? To my panel in a moment, but first I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Mary Taylor, who owns Café Zeke in Glasgow. Mary, how are you doing? Thanks very much indeed for for joining us. What's What's it been like running a business during... The plague year during the pandemic. Not not easy, I imagine. No, it's been an emotional roller coaster, really. I feel, felt sometimes that I was on a big giant game of like financial snakes and ladders and emotional snakes and ladders as well. Um having responsibility for all the staff, not knowing what was going to happen, things changing Aye. all the time, constantly having to reinvent and I've never been in so much debt in all my life. Oh, no. So, I mean, rather too many nasty serpents and no no many ladders by the sound of it. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, and, and what, what, were, what were the biggest problems, would you say, was it the, the closures, the lack, the lack of opportunity, the, the lack of information? What, what, what would you say in terms of the way it was handled politically and by the various governments? I think the thing is, like, you go into business in order to kind of live and die by your own sword. So if things are going badly, then you work your way out of them. If things are going well, then you benefit from it. But generally, you have control. And I think it was the lack of control that was a really hard thing for everybody. Explain that to me. That's interesting. What do you, what do you mean by lack of control? You're, you're not in charge of your own destiny, is that, is that it? At all, no. And you're also, at the same time, you're responsible for so many people. Like, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, we had, in my Glasgow businesses, 40 employees. And then uh-huh. in the... The business that was involved in in Balquidder, another 80 employees, you know, lots of whom lived there and everything. And so before furlough was announced, I was just in tears for, you know, the very beginning, I was in tears for about 48 hours thinking, you know, what am I going to do? And everybody's, we were all just sitting going, you know, is everybody out of a job here? Um, So that was the way it started. And then it kind of just continued. There was loads and loads of things happened. Things changed all the time. and, And I just felt that, there was nothing, you had no voice, there was nothing you could do to change anything. Was it good Good news this week, presumably Glasgow going down from three to two, although 13 areas also stayed in two at the same time? Yeah, uh, amazing news, amazing news. Okay. Yeah, uh, brilliant. What do you, what do you, how do you feel these things were handled by Scottish and UK governments? I think, I think it's an impossible task to be a politician, yeah. let alone be a politician right now in charge of a, a global pandemic. Um, so I think it's very hard to criticise and also 
you know, I don't have the, the privilege of knowing what the data is. And in some ways, you have to just trust the government that they're using the data properly. I'm going, to, I'm going to move on to the panel in a minute, but Kathy Zeek, Z-I-Q-U-E, it's named, uh, uh, tell us the origin of that name, it's a nice story. Um, so my grandfather's actually from the, the Vale of Leven, from Balloch, um, and his real name's Donald McGregor, but um, he went to fight in, as a, a, in the International Brigade in the Spanish yeah. Civil War, um, and he was a big influence in my life, food-wise and everything else. So so when he came back from Zeek, eh, from, eh, from Spain, sorry, his nickname was Zeke, so I named the business after him. Oh, it means something like energy or zest or drive. Is that right? I don't even know. I, I, think, I think it does, yeah. yeah. Does it? Yeah. Well, homage to Catalonia and, and, and all that sort of thing. Let, let's, right. let, let's, let's, let's broaden out the, the, the discussion. Um, joined by Avon McKee, business minister in the Scottish government. Adam Tompkins was a Tory frontbench MSP until the election. has now gone back to his roots as a professor of law at Glasgow University. Stuart McKinnon also from the Federation of Small Business. Welcome to you. And uh, Hannah Roger, Herald Legal Correspondent, welcome all. Let, let's bring in Ivan, first of all, but, 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 any of you, just pile in any time you, you feel like it. Ivan, you, you hear what Marie's saying there about the extent of problems. Some of the problems, no doubt, uh, unavoidable, but you know the accusation from some business organisations, we'll hear from Stuart in a minute, is that some of the decisions were just too hasty and, and, and too last minute. Well, you've got that uh, that dilemma, and I think Mary articulates it very well. You need to base the decisions on the data, and um, we're in a very difficult situation. And I really feel for for businesses like like Mary's. I mean, I was obviously in business myself before becoming a politician, and I absolutely right. understand the point she's making about uh, about being in control and not being in control with the situation we find ourselves in. And I think it's that uh, that dilemma. The virus does take unpredictable turns. Clearly, with new variants coming on board, we need to be gathered against. Um, any any upswing that the, the vaccine has obviously helped, but despite that, there's still a lot of uh, a lot of unknowns, and um, there's still people contracting the virus. And it's important to guard against that. In terms of making decisions about yeah. uh, moving from levels, you've really got a dilemma about do you make that decision early based on the information you have, but at that point the range oh, might be greater. And yeah. do, do you hold on until you maybe able to take a different yeah closing down when okay. you might not? Whereas if you wait a few days, you might have more accurate data that says you don't need to close down. So there's always that dilemma, which is, which is a difficult decision to to call. Adam, you've got that sceptical look about you that uh, we learned to, to 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 love so much when you were on the front benches. You, you, I mean, you 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 don't think it's been handled well, do you? Um, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that actually. Um, uh, I, I think that um, ministers are under. Um, incredible pressure, and it's very and it's a very difficult set of circumstances. But what I do think, over the course of the last um, year and a half now, nearly that we've been living under these um, emergency regulations for, is that we have got we've all grown far too comfortable. We've all grown far too used to it, uh, ministers included. Uh, and by that, I mean you know we've lost sight of the fact that these are emergency regulations um, that are designed to deal of necessity with what was a public health emergency caused by uh, coronavirus and by uh, COVID-19. Now, uh, the pandemic is still with us, right? The disease has not gone away. Um, and uh, the scientists tell us that we might even be at the beginning of a third wave of it in Scotland. But the emergency has gone away. And the emergency has gone away because, I mean, yeah, like Ivan, I was a member of the Scottish Parliament when we passed these regulations way back in, in, in March last year. And I remember the circumstances in which we passed them. We passed them because we were terrified, Brian, 
We were terrified. The whole country was terrified. Absolute terror. Um, I agree and what, with and that. what yeah, we were I've terrified. Never seen the public so so afraid. And, exactly. And, and what we were terrified of was very specific. What we were terrified of was the NHS being overrun. Yeah. Because that that week when we passed those regulations, the the, the evening news was full of pictures, horrific pictures from uh, the north of Italy. You know, not very far away, and yeah. a very prosperous part of uh, continental Europe, where the uh, health service was being overrun, yeah. where doctors were having to make horrendous decisions about who to give life support to and who to give oxygen to and who to put. And that's the emergency that these regulations were designed to protect the NHS from. And uh, we are now, thank God, Brian, we are now uh, mercifully, um, you know, so far away from that, it's not true. Why? Because of the progress that scientists have made uh, with the vaccine and because of the extraordinary efforts that governments across these islands have gone to, including the SNP in yeah. uh, Scotland, to roll out the vaccination programme ahead of every other country in Europe uh, across the whole of the, 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 the United Kingdom. So the, 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 the analysis of the cost and benefit of the risk um, yes. to public it, health... Because it's always a balance, isn't it? There has to has, come a point when, you know, this virus is probably not going to exactly. go... And my, point, and, my, and, my point is, and my point is that it's changed. And yeah. whereas a year and a half ago... It was harsh but necessary to close down businesses like uh, Mary's business uh, in the restaurant trade in the West End of Glasgow. It now is not necessary to do that because and you've even suggested it, might be unlawful. Well, it is unlawful. I mean, I, I mean, I, I really have no doubt about this because you know these are these are emergency regulations which are uh, um, designed for a public health emergency which is no longer with us um, and which must be exercised only where necessary. Uh, and where necessary means, amongst other things, where it is the least restrictive available means. That's what the law says. And it's not it's not my law that says that. It's actually European human rights law uh, yeah. that says that. It's enshrined in the Scotland Act. It's enshrined in the Human Rights Act. It's part of the fabric of our, of our fundamental legal architecture. And where ministers of any political colour, so I'm not making a party political yeah. point. If, yeah. I was, if we were talking about regulations in England made by Boris Johnson's ministers, I'd be making the same point. point. It's prima facie unlawful to use emergency powers when there isn't a public health emergency in respect of... OK, how, hold, uh, on, hold on to that thought. I'm going to bring in Stuart McKinnon in a second, but Ivan, uh, uh, respond to that. You know, you, you've held on too long. It was an emergency and the emergency is by. Well, I, I think that... Um, I say two things. First of all, I actually welcome what Adam's saying because it's important that Adam and others keep reminding us of this fact, and, and, and that's absolutely fundamental to our democracy that we have this discussion and those voices are are making those points and, and, and that's absolutely completely valid and I encourage them, um, although that sounds strange to continue to make those points because it is, is fundamentally important. But what I would also say is that in January, we had 2,000 people in hospital with COVID in Scotland, which I think was a higher number even than we had in the first the first wave. So yeah. only a matter of a few weeks ago, we were we were back in a very desperate situation. And I suppose the concern is and, and has been over the last uh, the last three months that we don't tip back into a, a third uh, third wave. So that that's the background. But there's going to there's going to come a point, Minister, isn't it? There? There's going to have to come a point. It's a balance. We can't wait forever. We can't. No, I know, and we're not, we're this not. virus will not go away. It's all record. The, the, the damn thing is finding new variants all the time. We're going to have to open up. We're going to have to say we either trust this blasted vaccine or we don't. We're going to have to open up. Well, I think progress has been made there as we're moving through the levels. That's uh, that, that's happening, um, and that will continue to happen if the numbers continue to stay as they are. And that's uh, that, 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 that's important. But of course, we've seen. So Tories, Tories say we should have got the Tories say we should go down to level one everywhere and and and, and make that move. Well, even in Glasgow, we've seen um, an uptick in the numbers in the last uh, the last few weeks, which was concerning, okay. uh, and in other parts of the country, um, and that had to be controlled and stabilised. So we are 
fighting this this war, if you like, against the virus on an ongoing basis. So I think the pace is about right. I wouldn't think we should go going any faster, but we are um, moving down the levels um, as the data allows, and, and that's important. Let's bring in Stuart McKinnon. Stuart, we heard uh, an amazing, remarkable testimony from 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 Mari there about the you know the the the, the emotional roller coaster that she has faced running a a, a, a sizable business in, in during these period this period. Presumably, that's been replicated all across Scotland. Yes, absolutely. I think we. Mary's story was so compelling because it represents what so many business owners have gone through in, in Scotland over the last 18 months. We know that um, at least half of all Scottish small businesses have had to close their doors at one point or other during the, during the crisis. We know that Scottish business, the Scottish business community now carries more than £3 billion worth of government-backed loans. And we know that while the furlough scheme was incredibly important, it's, it's beginning to get wound down. It'll get wound down at the start of July onwards. And there's this terrifying prospect that businesses will still face ongoing restrictions while that scheme's uh, being wound down, putting even more pressure on, on business owners to try and make, to try and turn a profit in a fairly difficult, difficult situation. Now, what we would like to see at the FSB is for UK ministers to work with the, the Scottish government to ensure that Scottish businesses aren't put in a situation where the furlough scheme goes away, but they are still facing uh, tough restrictions and they're, 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 forced, they're forced into a very, very difficult spot. Just to return to this, um, yeah, I think, really important mental health point that, 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 that Mary made. Yeah. We know that two-fifths of business owners uh, are worried about their own mental health uh, in, in, in Scotland. And I think that you know, all of us that have not been uh, an employer during the last 18 months probably don't understand the burden um, of, of responsibility that these people have, have felt. And that's why we went into the, the last Scottish Parliament election trying to make a case for, for the Scottish government to provide specialist support for, for the self-employed and business owners just because the pandemic has taken such a toll um, on, on this local and independent business community. Right. I want to talk about two things. We're going to bring in Hannah Roger now. I want to talk about two things. We've got the short-term questions of how we keep businesses going, how we support them. Farlow, Scottish Government today announcing extra money for business in level two areas, extra money for taxi drivers. There was big concern that they, they had missed out. Extra money for the cultural sector, ditto. Big concern that it was having to keep closed for a longer period. So you've got those short-term things. Then you have the idea of a longer-term need to transform and rebuild the economy. Scottish Government wants a, a 10-year national strategy for economic transformation. You have the UK Government proposals as well for a national economic recovery task force. So you've got short-term, you've got long-term. Hannah, take us through what, what's happening with regard to the, 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 the summit. It, it's, it's UK-chaired, um, uh, but, but each of the, the uh, devolved uh, administrations involved as well. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's correct. So I think the summit is happening as we speak just yeah. now. And obviously that, that was supposed to be taking place last week. And then there was a bit of a um a bit of a row between the devolved government and the UK government about, you know, uh what the point of the summit was, what the agenda yeah. was, etc. You know, um we had Downing Street saying the Scottish government weren't prepared enough, then we had Scottish government saying that Boris Johnson wasn't prepared enough. So that's going ahead today. Now, 
obviously we don't have the details right now of, of what's being discussed, but one thing that was interesting this morning was Michael Gove was speaking on the radio and he was talking about the furlough scheme and he he hasn't gone as far as to say, you know, the government are committing to extending the furlough scheme. No. However, he did interestingly say that he is open-minded about keeping the furlough scheme going after September, which is, you know, it's really significant because that is one of the main things that the opposition parties in Westminster specifically have been, you know, really kind of hammering the government, hammering the Tories about saying, you know, you can't just take away that support. It's going to create a cliff edge. There's going to be unemployment going through the roof, etc. So, you know, but so that's one element of it that I think is interesting. But on the other hand, the furlough scheme and, you know, self-employment schemes, etc., they do have to end at some point. You can't keep extending yeah. them forever. So really, there is going to be a point where you just have to say, no, I'm sorry, we can't give any more money. But, and, and businesses are either going to have to sink or swim with that. You know, it, it's not an easy, there's no easy solution. So I don't uh, thanks know. For that. Let, let's, let's hold on to that thought just now. Let's go to Mary on that. Mary, is it sink or swim for, for you? What, what do you see in the short term how do you see you know yourself getting getting out of this uh, dilemma that there's been well yeah i mean i think that's a very relevant point that hannah makes like we can only trade well if we're trading in a in a healthy economy you know if we suddenly go into um like you know a great depression where most people are unemployed or people are you know that they're, they're suddenly thrown off furlough then there'll be no business again anyway whether we're allowed to trade or not I think another thing that's interesting as well, and I don't really understand the machinations of it, but there's there seems to have been a lot of arbitrary decisions made as well. Like, you know, you can't serve alcohol. For the last three weeks, we've not been allowed to serve alcohol inside and we've had to close at eight o'clock at night. Now, anyone who runs a restaurant knows that that's a disaster for restaurants because instead of being able to do two sittings, we've had all of our sittings coming in at six o'clock. So it means that, you know, first of all, the front of the house get hammered, then the kitchen gets hammered, then the poor KP gets hammered. And it's absolutely not the way that you would run a business. And so even with the concessions and and then, you know, like you have also got an Airbnb as well. So you're only allowed, I can't even remember actually what the rule is. But you're only allowed so many people inside which means I've had like, you know, £8,000 worth of cancellations for my Airbnb. And you're like, is there really a difference between eight people or six people? Are you, are you optimistic or completely gloomy or a bit of both or what? I mean, I have to be optimistic. Well, you're, you're on a business. You have to be <laughs> and I'm also like, you know, I'm the captain of the ship. So if, I, if I'm not optimistic and positive, then I bring everybody else down with me. I mean, it feels great. It feels great to be trading again. The people yeah. of Glasgow are amazing. They really, really want to support us. And, you know, they know how to have a good time. They know how to spend money. And uh, I think a lot of people have a lot of money to spend, ironically, after after coronavirus. When you, when you, when you mentioned getting hammered there, I'm afraid I couldn't help thinking of... <laughs> no, 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 no. Brian, 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 stop. Adam, I saw you nodding your head. Yeah, I, 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 I just want to come in on, on this. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think there's going to be a Great Depression. I, I really don't. And the reason why I don't think there's going to be a Great Depression is because there's actually a lot of unspent money stored up in people's bank accounts and people's pockets. Um, and particularly people like me and uh, you, Brian and Ivan, who've been, you know, uh, personally um, uh, unaffected by the economic effects of um, uh, COVID. 
I mean, we've managed, you know, children through homeschooling and all, all that sort of thing. We've been uh, socially affected through the isolation of lockdown and all the rest of it. But um, we've got safe um, public sector uh, em- employment. We haven't been furloughed um, and we haven't been able to spend very much money recently. Um, and there's a lot of pent up demand. People want their lives back. Right? People want to go out again. Uh, people want to um, uh, start socializing and seeing their friends again. And I think that uh, yeah. restaurants in, that are located in places uh, uh, like uh, the West End of Glasgow, where, where Cafe Zeke is or um, uh, where Mary's restaurant is, are, are, are going to do very well. Uh, but we're going to see very patchy effect. I mean, when I was uh, a Glasgow MSP, and I've more seen this as well as, as, as a constituency MSP in Glasgow, um, that the, 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 the uh, elements of the hospitality trade that are really struggling are city centre cafes that are dependent on they've been able to open for ages they don't they're not licensed they don't serve alcohol um, but they have they they are dependent on lunchtime office worker trade and lunchtime office worker trade has completely disappeared through no fault of these cafes at all uh, because um these workers are um uh, not commuting into the city center and they're not working in their offices they're they're working from home Let's, go to, let's go, go, go to Stuart at this point about you know the, the and then I'll bring in the minister Stuart this point that Mary was making there that some of the decisions just seemed arbitrary. They, 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 they seemed almost perverse. Is, is that an experience you've had? Yeah, well, listen, we've spent the last year in meetings with officials and ministers trying to get a clear idea of many of the rules and regulations, some pertaining to when businesses can open and how can, they can open, and, and many relating to the cash support yeah. uh, available to businesses. And it, one of the frustrating things that we've maybe experienced over the last six months is that we don't feel like all the lessons that could have been learned from the first lockdown have been have been learned and that maybe um the, the more could be done to reach businesses that are, perhaps aren't eligible for support and we, we've seen this throughout that there's groups of businesses that aren't obvious to to policymakers that have been continuously left out from uh, government support schemes often home-based businesses or businesses that operate out of a vehicle taxi drivers well i mentioned taxi drivers they were really complaining the the cultural sector was saying you know we're not able to open at all you know um, but they're covered today by some of the announcements that we have yeah and and good good to see progress in that area but there's still big holes uh, big giant holes in the in, in the support landscape and, and I think that that's mostly because policymakers still think about uh, businesses through a sort of bricks and mortar uh, lens rather than understanding that every person that is trying to uh, make a living, whether that's from their, from their front room or a, or a white van, deserves support when, when, when demand has, has crashed. If I can yeah. just touch on yeah, um, town city centres um, as well, you know, I think it's fair to acknowledge that Many of our town and city centres were in real trouble before this uh, before this crisis okay. happened, and and we're going to have to do an awful lot of work to rethink um, how we uh, make our um, city centres and our town centres, for that matter, bastions of of commerce and activity in in the future. What mm. we do need to see is action to try and tackle the the, the blight of empty units uh, in, in our town and city centres, as mm. well as strike the right balance between um, ensuring that some people can continue to work from home and perhaps uh, bring trade to their uh, to their local high street rather than to the city centre, while also making sure that our, um, our, our big cities, our big drivers of commerce, have footfall on a day-to-day basis. I have a huge amount to cope with there. Have a go. 
<laughs> yeah, thanks. Got <laughs> the rest of the podcast. Um, Loads of luck, as they say. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I take many, many valid points. It's good that FSB and other business organisations are, are engaging with government, as I know they are on a, a weekly, several times a week basis, um, to feed that information. And, and as a balance, and, and some of the decisions might seem um, try to understand why those decisions were made, but it's a, a lot of this is about if you if you loosen up somewhere, you can't loosen up somewhere else. So you won't get complete across the piece decisions have to be made at the end of the day it comes down to the number of contacts that are being made in what environments and that's what drives the, the R number so it's 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 about being able to uh, decide how you how that can be best managed in any given situation but in terms of the economic recovery Brian yeah, you divided please. that up into kind of short and medium term and I think yeah, I think some very valid points and there's a lot of thinking going on in government at the moment about about that so I think there's a kind of medium term a kind of transition phase as well because if you talk about the short term, we've talked about that business support, et cetera, extension of furlough in this summer, we're obviously calling for that and so on and so forth so that businesses can, can survive through the, 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 the lifting of, uh, of restrictions. And in the longer term, it's about um, understanding what one Scotland's economy looked like. It's about the drive to net zero. It's about the fair work agenda. Um, it's about sectors that Scotland is strong in and how we, we continue to perform well on, with those on the on the international stage, how we get more higher paid people in our society. That now, this is really interesting, Minister. So you're saying it's, it's, you're saying it's whether it's not just going back to where we were. We may have a different sort Absolutely. of economy, perhaps with more, more home working, more green uh, recovery based yeah go on please that's absolutely right um, and the home working thing is really interesting because you're, you're absolutely right the, 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 that will have an impact a significant impact on six centres um, but I think that's something that was going to happen anyway um, which has been accelerated and I think it's something that frankly you know, we said we didn't want that to happen how do you stop it happening? You stop it? All yeah. businesses are going to go to a hybrid model. That's pretty much. So it's about how do you reimagine city centres? How do you support that transition? How do you work together to make sure that they stay vibrant, but perhaps in a different a different way, maybe more residential, different types of businesses, different types of experiences. So there's a lot of thinking needs to be done about how and, and we're well progressed with that. But I think that the transition point is, is really important as well. And Adam makes a point about there are a lot of people, a lot of savings which is going to funnel into, into the economy. Every business I spoke to, and when I was dealing with high-tech sectors, I expected them to have a conversation with me about skill shortages. I'm now talking to tourism, leisure, hospitality businesses in my new role, and they're also talking to me about skills um, shortages. So you've got that dilemma between uh-huh. we're worried about unemployment when furlough tails off, but we're also, everybody's talking about skill shortages. So I don't think there's going to be, a, we don't know, to be fair, is there going to be a demand shortage? Possibly, probably not, as Adam says. Is there going to be skill shortages? Um, is there going to be an, an unemployment challenge or not? Is it the opposite? Yeah. Um, it's going to be patchy. So there's a lot of things in that transition that aren't clear. We need to analyse the data better. We need to understand where the pinch points are going to be and government I think needs to be agile working with businesses to be able to intervene at the right point and make that as smooth as possible. Let's bring in Hannah. Hannah the, 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 sorry, at one point as well. Like I think, yes, go on, please, please, yeah. Sorry, I think the government thinking has to be um, matched up with the city council's thinking as well. You know, there's been, like, there's a whole thing about like, let's support business, let's support business. And then uh, Glasgow City Council seems to be completely disjointed. There's three different departments that don't seem to know what the others are doing and they're not working together. So you find yourself running about from pillar to post, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh uh-huh. And and they're not talking to each other and they don't seem to have clarity in terms of what their policy actually is because their policies have to change. 
in order for, you know, if we're going to trade outdoors and it looks like that's not just going to be for the last three weeks, that's going to be something that's going to be ongoing, then we need an outdoor space to trade. And we've been privileged to have one, um, but there's so many other people that don't have it whatsoever. And I don't know if, you know, if you remember when we had the Commonwealth Games, it was amazing in Glasgow. The streets were closed off and it felt like a big, vibrant European city. And, you know, even recently, you can see the creativity in terms of... A bit of that spirit back, yeah. Yeah, and all the tables and chairs are out and there's beautiful planting going on and people have done loads of great things, but they're all getting... We're we're getting hammered for it. Everybody's getting hammered for it. Uh You know, so it's it's another thing that needs to be done. The city, you know, there's... I, I think it's an amazing opportunity to change cities, to change Scotland, to make it much greener, to take the streets back... To let people come in their bikes instead of coming in their cars. To uh-huh. you know, we've got big, massive, white pavements. Let's use them. Hannah, uh, that, that fantastic contributions there, and I'm going to come back to business in a second. But uh, the, the the minister and 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 Mary there mentioned, you know, education, skills, training. It's been a huge row about education, hasn't there, in in, in the. The Scottish Parliament about the SQA and the minister, I think, has announced uh, potential reforms of the SQA and and Education Scotland. That's the body that does uh, quality uh, control and, and and all that sort of thing. Tell us about that. Yeah, so that um, has just been announced today. I think that there there will be a reform of the SQA. Um, obviously, you know, this isn't the first sort of we've seen of problems to do with the SQA and Education Scotland over the past year. A lot of it was by the pandemic, the lack of, um, you know, tuition and classroom time for students and then yeah. a fiasco with the exams. Um, so, yeah, that, that's just happened today in terms of reforming the SQA. We've had a commitment for that. And then, of course, you know, in Westminster, being Westminster correspondent, um, I'm kind of quite attuned to that as well. So the UK government have had um, major problems with their education policies too and we've had one of their sort of advisors quit over the amount of money that they've been provided yeah. for educational catch up so you know it's really I think it's not just a Scottish issue clearly um, education is is continuing to be a kind of thorn in the yeah, side of, of governments across the UK just because of the pandemic really. Uh, Adam uh, talking about we've got that the, the UK government problems there talking about the Scottish government problems as well, I mean, we we had uh, Nicola Sturgeon was being was being questioned about this by by Douglas Ross, and she was saying, "Okay, it's not ideal. It's just not ideal. It's not perfect, but you know, we're 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 trying our best." What's your take on how the the issue of exams and the issue of education has been handled during this pandemic? Um, I think it's inevitable in the handling of a pandemic that there's going to be a lot of muddling through. Yeah. Um, uh, and I don't mean that um, in, a, in a dismissive way. I think, you know, a year and a half ago, I mean, a year and a half on, we, n- we now know much more about this disease and how it transmits than we did a yeah. year and a half ago and all, and, and all of the rest of it. But people get caught. Um, people get caught. Um, people through no fault of their own um, by, by governments that have no choice, no option but, but to muddle through. And, um, you know, there's been some uh, chat in this um, discussion, Brian, about the mental health costs. Yeah, um, and that's one of those issues that everybody kind of nods to, and then we move on. We don't really talk about it properly. And, and another one of these issues that um, you know we we nod to and don't really talk about properly is, is the impact of all of this on children. Yeah. Uh, not just uh, the educational impact, but the social impact too. I, I've got four school aged children. Two of them are in primary school. Two of them are in secondary school. Um, and they, ha- they there's no question, Brian. They have all suffered. 
um, uh, over the course of the last uh, year and a half. And every effort needs to be made to thinking about understanding the nature of that suffering, social and economic, not sorry, social and educational, uh-huh. um, and, and remedying it. Um, and un- understanding, I mean, so you know, you say to my kids, yeah, you've lost a lot of schooling, uh, you're going to need to go to school more. That would actually compound their misery. It wouldn't. It wouldn't alleviate. <laughs> it wouldn't alleviate. But if you were to say to them, um, you know, we're going to give you uh, the wherewithal to go to the bookshop and buy a hundred pounds worth of books, or to go to um, uh, the Apple Store and uh, buy yourself a new, um, uh, new, new new IT equipment that you can use in terms of you know your educational uh, success in the next, uh, they'd they'd love it. Um, do you, do you uh, kids, 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 kids love stuff, and what, you know <laughs> what, what, what they want. So, I, and I, I, I think we're very much at the beginning of this conversation, not the end of it. I, I don't have the answers, um, but you, I do think that it's honestly, a lot more. The the idea that you can fix the problems that we've caused for school kids by just um, giving them some kind of catch up tutorial yeah. provision is. Um, so bad to miss the point that it just makes me want to scream. Exams, exams have had to be cancelled. I think that's twice now. Are we are we going to be able to go back to hires at all, or are people no. going to demand? You think exams have been cancelled? I mean, you, you, the you, problems I, I, my, my, my oldest kid's fifteen and he's doing his nat fives. So he doesn't think his exams. Been he doesn't cancelled. think his exams he's are cancelled. Um, external so external that, exams have been cancelled. External hires, you know, moderated by the SQA, have been cancelled. It's a, it's a mess. It's it's a mess. what we what we have done of necessity um, is to try to muddle through. Um, yeah. And children's welfare has been caught. It's one of the prices that we as a society have had to pay. I haven't had to pay it. My kids are paying it. Paying it yeah. um, and we need to have a really serious, good, long, hard think about exactly what it is that children now need in order to be supported through their recovery as we build back, build back better for them as well. Yeah. Stuart, Stuart, what's your take on this from a, from a business perspective? You know, we, we, I, I, we, we, we're beginning to hear quite serious talk now of, you know, don't go back to the hires at all. Try and for, for, find a different way of uh, assessing kids. And then you have stories this week saying, you know, that the the, the, the con- continuous assessments information is, is actually being shared among among pupils, and you know, it's it's uh, it's not exactly helping uh, a, a full and fair system. What, what's your take, Stuart? We, we were we were asked about this. We were asked about whether we uh, what what businesses would would make of uh, new hires that had gone through. Yeah. Uh, this year's and last year's disruption, and I think that most employers would be um, fairly charitable with, uh, with with kids that have have faced this disruption. And and if and if they had, and I think small businesses especially wouldn't just go on the on the grades that they were given, but try and take a more rounded look at a, a potential employee. The larger question is about sort of the long term um, disruption that this might have to the yeah. to the skills pipeline. Um, and, and I think we also must look at, I suppose, one, one of the key things that we saw during this crisis was when there was disruption to schools and to childcare, what a disastrous effect that had on, uh, on local economies. Uh-huh. Um, with, with, and I think there's much evidence to suggest it has a disproportionate impact uh, on women. I, I didn't feel that particularly when I was homeschooling my daughter, but I think that the we need to, again, look at what are the building blocks that hold up the rest of our communities? And both schools and childcare providers have played such a pivotal role that we need to make sure that these businesses and these and, and schools especially never close again, no matter what, what you, happens. What, what were your home lessons like, Stuart? Were they tough? Were they fair? Were you the, so I, I used the to try powerful domine or the, the, the supportive <laughs> friend? 
So, so my daughter's only in primary one, so oh, I could cope with I could cope with most of the curriculum. I I have to say, but the the challenge, the, the challenge I had, I was I was getting up at uh, six trying to rattle through my work for a few oh, hours, yeah. and then trying to, and I didn't feel like I was doing yeah. either the schooling or my own job particularly well. And I, I'm sure that lots of other parents were in that spot, and I, and I don't think we should ever go back to a situation where where parents are, are juggling those responsibilities. Mary, education is about, you know, it's about helping the, the individual and, and all of that, but it's also about preparing perhaps for the world of work. What, what do you look for when you're looking to, to hire somebody in your business? Yeah, I mean, what, what we look for is personality, creativity, um, people skills, and, and, and actually, to me, an education is not, or our current education is not fit for purpose. Oh. I think, like, you know, if you look at the way that um, technology has changed over the last hundred years, the way transport's changed over the last hundred years, the way everything's changed over the last hundred years, education now is pretty much the same as it was a hundred years ago. And I think it's completely unfit for purpose. I think the way it's delivered is completely unfit for purpose. And I think that shows showed really during the pandemic. I had customers coming to the door when we were doing takeaways who were trying, so they're teachers, they were looking after their own kids, they were looking after their houses, and they were trying to make videos of the curriculum. Why are, why are, why are, I don't know how many teachers in the country making videos of it, becoming videographers? Can you not get someone to say, right, who's the best person to deliver that lesson and then let everybody get the same education and use, use technology an awful lot more? Division of skills. Well, Adam lots Smith would be lots. Adam Smith would be proud of you. Um, well, and lots and lots of things that are in in our curriculum just now, I think, bear no relevance to to the working world. Uh, uh, Ivan, rather, bring bring in. Thank you very much, but bring in Ivan on 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 that. You know, not fit for purpose. Well, obviously, we can go that far. I think that the um, the points that uh, Mary makes about uh, what she looks for when she hires people is really important. Um, and the, the whole focus of Curriculum for Excellence, of course, was to move the curriculum from being something that just taught facts or, 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 or whatever to building on those um, innate qualities within individuals so that they're able to be um, uh, members of society that have got initiative, that have got analytical skills, that have got the ability to be able to, to learn and adapt through their career. Um, as uh, as technology obviously changes the types of jobs that we're going to be doing, so that was the the, the whole the whole purpose of that. And of course, we can debate the the, the detail and have a discussion about um, which part of that's worked, what needs to be further developed. The do do you think the hires the hires will return formal externally run exams will will return? Do you, would you would you welcome that? Would you would you see that as necessary? Uh, I'm not going to comment no. on, uh, on that. It's outside my portfolio, yeah. but my understanding is that there's no plans to change that. Okay. I'm wrong. But that's my, my understanding of the, the situation. But I think the points that Adam makes as well about the impact on young people. My four children are much older. They're all in their 20s, so I've not had to go through that experience. But I think it would have been a real challenge to have had to do that over the last year and a half. Um, the, the point Adam makes about um, equipment, laptops, etc. Of course, we made a manifesto commitment to give every... Every school pupil their own uh, their own laptop device um, and, and internet connection uh, because we recognise that that's important to be able to uh, tackle the, the the inequalities that really were surfaced as a consequence of homeschooling. Where some pupils um, w- w- were able to do that much better than others because of home circumstances, access to equipment, and so on. We've kind of recognised that and we're taking that uh, 
that step forward. But, but I don't deny that there is a, a lot to be done um, in the education recovery and in the health recovery as much as in the economic recovery. Let's 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 draw this draw this to to a close. It's been a fabulous discussion, and thanks to you all. But let's draw it to a close. So some remarks, starting with with the minister, please, if you would. Where, where, where do you see us going? Do you, I mean, I suppose it's optimism, pessimism, but where, where do you, you, you've talked about the challenges, you've talked about the need to have a different sort of a, a, a economy. Where, where do you see us going for, on, on this issue of recovering from the pandemic, Ivan? I, I think, and I'm, go, I'm going to end up on an optimistic note, and yeah. understanding there's been huge um, pain and challenge and difficulty over the past year and a half. Um, I, I think there's a future there for us to make it. I think there's a lot of things that have been put in a place where um, we've got um, the ability to do things differently and, and it extends right through everything, how we join up um, departments and government and local government that, that, that um, Mary's talking about, which is absolutely recognised. Yeah. How do you, how do you reconfigure those things? And, and, and maybe the shock is something that allows us to do that. I've got to say, when you told that story, it just sounds so familiar. It just absolutely. sounds, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's examples of that we've seen through the pandemic where local authorities used to send seven different departments to... to visit a family and now only one went because of COVID and they realised they can do it with one and it's all much better joined up. So there's lots of examples like that that we can say. So I think it's really important that we build on that. It's really important that we get a real focus on um, what the recovery, recovery is going to look like, where we're trying to get to. And these issues around about education, Adam's talking about get addressed as well. Um, and I think we've got the opportunity to do that and, and do it do it well if, if we put our mind to it. I mean, thanks, Hannah. Where do you see things going next? That's a, a, a pretty tricky question, but uh, have, have a go. Um, going to hell? No. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, a, in, a, in a very well-polished handcart, yes. Yes. It's really, I, I just think it's really hard to tell. You know, I think we're at a point where everyone is urging caution, but you have to balance that, as we've been talking about, with, you know, the economy opening up. Are there going to be enough people with enough money to actually spend in businesses when they do get to open up um yeah. i just think that is a really kind of tricky balancing act to be done um as i said i don't think the furlough scheme can go on forever so we can't yeah. keep asking for an extension yeah. um but you know we just have to see what happens i do think there are going to be I do think the high street and how how businesses operate are going to be drastically different. That was really interesting from the discussion earlier. Yeah, I really like yeah. that. Adam, what's your take? What what are the next steps? The 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 next progress or 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 uh, retrograde steps or otherwise? Yeah, I, I share Ivan's um, optimism. Actually, I don't think we're going to hell in a handcart. I think that um, I, 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 what I do think we, we we need to do is in in as non-tribal and as non-partisan a way as possible, have an open and honest conversation with ourselves about um, what has been good and what has been bad about our experiences of the last eighteen months. Because lockdown hasn't been all bad. I mean, the the, the ability to work from home um, absolutely has its challenges when you've also got um, kids running around who are not being very well educated and who are bored um but it also has massive advantages in terms of you know um, but you, your kids Adam of course are wonderfully behaved at all points recal reca- and I'm talking about myself not my kids um <laughs> but it has real advantages in terms of recalibrating that all important work-life balance yeah um you know n- none of us have missed commuting um so but but at the same time we all know that you know home homeworking um, uh, comes with its costs in terms of, yes, you can replicate meetings in forums uh, such as this, but you can't replicate 
all of the conversations that you have on the way into the office and on the way out of the office, and all of the, the, the you know the, the social interactions that come with an effective. And also, of course, also of course implicitly, you can't dig a ditch or build a house from your home. And, and, you want, and, and what I think what people are craving is a balance between these things. People don't want to go back to life as it was, okay, um, but at the same time, people want to understand that um, that lockdown had you know really severe costs. Um, yeah. And not not just health costs, but really severe costs as as, as well as benefits. But we're not going to get to whatever the new normal is, and, and unless and until we can have a really good, honest conversation that doesn't divide on constitutional lines yeah, or yeah. partisan lines yeah. um, about our experiences of what life has been like for the last year and a half. Thank you for that, Stuart. And then I'll come to Mary finally. Stuart, Stuart McKinnon. I think a key, a key point from my point of view is. Just because we lift the restrictions doesn't mean that recovery is assured and that the, the recovery will take as much management as the crisis. We're going to have to carefully wind down the, the furlough scheme so we don't see a spike in unemployment. unemployment. We're going to have to help Scottish businesses manage this debt mountain they've accrued uh, over, the, over the last year. And we're going to have to be steadfastly focused on helping these local and independent businesses get back on their feet. And that means from governments north and south of the border, focusing on recovery at, at, an expe- at the expense of other issues. Like we can't be dreaming up schemes A, B and C. We have to stay focused on helping those businesses that were there, that played their part during the crisis, get, get back on their feet and not get distracted by the next thing. I saw Mary nodding there when you talked about debt. And of course, you began this, this programme by telling us about this. Mary Taylor, what, what's next for you? What's next for Cafe Zeke? What, what, do you, what do you see happening? I think we'll just do our best to serve people as well as we can, the best food we can, give them the best service we can and provide the best community restaurant that we can, we can too. Um, but I think, I think we have an opportunity as a society to be much fairer, to be much kinder, to be much more empathetic towards people. And I really hope that the government takes that opportunity and I think they will. Thank you very, very much indeed to, to, to Mary, to all my other guests on the panel. Uh, a really, really terrific discussion. I'm absolutely de- delighted that you, you were able to make the contribution. Thanks for joining me. And, and thanks to, to those of you who managed to listen in, either in the, the various uh, formats that, that have been offered to you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me. And for me, Brian Taylor, toodaloo the This podcast was brought to you by The Herald. We're giving you the chance to get exclusive access to even more insight, analysis and opinion with a Herald subscription. Take 20% off an annual rate with the code HERALDNEW2021. This offer is for new subscribers only and is only available with the promotional code. Subscriptions will renew at the standard rate unless cancelled. And sign up to our free evening politics newsletter, Unspun, to get snap analysis from some of our top contributors every day. Head to heraldscotland.com for the details. Thank you.